Welcome to Recovery His Way. I'm your host, Tom Reynolds, and today I'm excited to have a very special guest with me, a very dear friend of mine, who's also a staff member at His Way, Dana Mercier. Dana, good to have you with us today. Glad to be here with you, Tom. Um, I know we originally met, we were just discussing, um, we've known each other for about 10 years. Yes. And you originally came here in May and of 2011, and you graduated the first time in six months and stayed for a year, and were one of our first year-long graduates, and you've continued to be a part of the His Way family ever since. You've never never even left for a moment, so it's been great to have you part of the family. I know you're a um, special part of my life, and have been a special part of a lot of guys' lives here. Um, I want to start with, of course, a story I'm familiar with that obviously our audience would not be, which just is kind of your background, your recovery story. What, um, what was your journey in recovery? What brought you to seeking Christ Center recovery in your life? Well, Tom, I guess uh, seeking a Christ centered recovery for me didn't happen until later in my uh, years, you know, approximately a little less than 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago. Uh, I was brought up as a Catholic and was brought up in Alabama, Massachusetts. Uh, I come from a, a broken home. My home was broken up when I was about eight years old. and. By the time I was 16, I was so fed up with that life that I ran away from home and grew up on my own in the streets of Boston, San Francisco, New York, Chicago, all over the place. Wow. Um, and this was all back in the 60s, so you can imagine some of the mischief I was getting into in the 60s. Uh, I was into all of that mischief. Uh, and so, uh, did, you make it to, did you make it to Woodstock in your journey? I almost made it to Woodstock. <laughs> we had two flats and turned around <laughs> in a Volkswagen bus. But uh, I came very close to getting there, yes. But my lifestyle was a lot like that back then. I mean, just about everybody that wasn't a good kid doing the right things in the 60s was doing the wrong things in the 60s. And I was one of the wrong things in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much how I grew up most of my life. I was, I never really considered myself an addict when I was younger. I was a, um, I, I would call myself a casual user, but I used just about everything. Uh, everything from psychedelics to marijuana and drinking. I was never really a big drinker. Um, drinking never really affected me. Uh, and it would, I would go right from just feeling a little good to sick drunk. So uh, there was no in between for me, so I couldn't get any enjoyment out of that. So I never really liked drinking alcohol. Uh, I guess I started using uh, a little bit more casual when I uh, was living in Boston after I got to be around 18 years old. Uh, you know, cost of living on the streets of Boston, you have to only, you know, so many options. You know, it's kind of hard to get a job when you've really got no background and you've got no address and you, you know, it's so you have to pretty much settle for what you can do. And for me, it was either, uh, I had, it seemed like I had two choices. I could deal drugs or rob and steal or be a male prostitute. Didn't want to be either one of the. Uh, uh, I didn't want to be a male prostitute, so uh, it was a combination of. I started uh, my career off stealing when I was younger, and then I went to uh, dealing drugs uh, because for me that was it seemed safer. Uh, 
And I did that for many years. Uh, and in those years, I was probably selling co mostly cocaine. Uh, and back in them days, in the 70s, it was really not even a Class A drug. It was basically, uh, they treated it back in the 70s like it was less of a drug than marijuana was. So it wasn't really, it didn't seem like a big deal, I guess, to me at the time. And uh, So, you know, along with, you know, I always used drugs, and, you know, since I, ever since I was about 13, I started using drugs. So uh, when I was, when the cocaine thing started, it, I'd snort a lot of the cocaine. And after about five or six years of snorting cocaine, I couldn't snort it no more. And then I ended up using intravenously. Uh, and eventually, that's what brought me down here because I bought, after about two, two and a half years of that, I was really sick and tired and I didn't want to do that no more. I didn't feel like I was an addict. Uh, I actually didn't have to go to a program to stop. All I had to do was come to Alabama at that point. And I came here and stayed with my mom. This was in 1986. Okay. And um, <clears throat> I got, uh, I stayed there. I got me a job within two weeks at the Chevrolet place mm -hmm. and uh, actually ended up working there for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, met, uh, met my wife. Uh, here in Alabama, and um, we actually met at a Stars baseball game okay. uh, that the, my work took me to as a as a gift for some good work that I did, mm -hmm. and uh, we ended up getting married after in 1990, and uh, <clears throat> we were together for about 14, 14 and a half years. Uh, <clears throat> of course, around the 12th year of my marriage. Uh, you know, things were really good, you know. I, I might have smoked a little bit of pot or drank a few beers with some friends, but I really didn't get back into using or getting any, you know, mischief or anything. And uh, when we had a pool table in my back, I had a detached garage in the backyard and we had a pool table out there. And some of my friends from work uh, basically would come over every Tuesday night and we would have what we call pool night. You know, we'd smoke a couple of joints, drink a few beers and play pool for about two or three hours and then that was it. And after a couple of years of doing that, one of my friends brought a friend who had a friend with him that had some crack cocaine. And of course, without thinking about it, you know, being a part of my history and uh, I, I smoked some and everybody smoked some. And then uh, it seemed like they, that person just kept coming back every Tuesday and uh, I, I, I was always ready to smoke some and um, after a couple of weeks my friend stopped coming and it was just me and him sitting there smoking and uh, then I guess that was uh, the beginning of becoming an addict to me in my eyes because something seemed to snap in me that made me, um, I don't know, I guess compulsive. You know, I would uh, chase the drug, you know, um, and I chased it pretty hard. You know, I would go to, uh, you know, eventually he stopped coming, you know, and, and I had stopped buying it. And um, because that went most of, you know, my paycheck would end up, be, you know, disappearing and I'd have to come up with excuses and stuff and all that. And I'd be out in the garage all night long, you know, and uh, eventually, you know, 
Angela. It took her a long time because she didn't really live that life or know that life at all because mm -hmm. she grew up in Church of Christ and she was very, uh, I would call goody, goody two shoes. She mm -hmm. didn't, you know, never, she never drank. She never used any kind of drugs. Uh, she never gambled. She, she was just a good girl, you know. As mm -hmm. uh, a matter of fact, when I first met her, I, I, you know, I had an opportunity to meet, to go out with her or her friend. And her friend was just too eager, and I had to live that life so long that I didn't want none of that. I wanted, I could see something different in Angela, mm -hmm. and, and, and there was something different in her. Right. And, uh, so anyway, uh, I ended up uh, with her instead. And, mm -hmm. and it, it was good, very good for me, you know, but of course, you know, once I started smoking that crack cocaine, the monster was awoken in me. Mm -hmm. Uh, without me even realizing it. Uh, before you know it, I was going in a downhill spiral. How old were you about this time? I was, what this was in 2002 when I started smoking okay. again. Uh, by the time uh, 2004, I was uh, out of the house, lost my job. And I, at that point, I went to every dealership in town pretty much. As a as a service advisor, bumping from one to the other and mm -hmm. failing. At one point, I actually had a few years clean, and uh, at the end of those three years, I guess what got me going again was I just still felt miserable. Something was missing. Mm -hmm. Didn't know what it was at that point. Mm -hmm. I knew that something wasn't there to help me stay clean. Right. And um, so I ended up going back out and messing up again, losing another job. And actually, I actually moved out of home and then moved back in for a little while. And then, and then I got bad again and I had to go, you know, so we ended up getting divorced and, uh, I, you know, you know, we went to a custody battle, but not much of a battle because I knew I, you know, if I was to fight for anything, I would be just taking from her and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been at that point in my eyes, a good father. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to take Meredith from her. So mm -hmm. I uh, very easily gave up everything so that she would be okay right. and, you know, went on my own. Uh, <clears throat> basically went on my own so that I could use in, in peace mm -hmm. because that's the way I felt at the time. Right. Uh, so when I left, you know, I was pretty, I, you know, I told Angela some lies, you know, just to make her feel bad enough to let me go because I knew it wasn't going to be easy for her to let me go. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, anyway, I ended up, you know, after a little while, ended up in jail. I believe, you know, I can, uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm about 99% sure one of our staff members was a policeman and arrested me in 2003. Oh, okay. Uh, that was my first arrest. Oh, okay. That one was a short one. I got in and out, you know, mom bailed me out of jail and uh, I ended up going back to work and ended up, I ended up having to go to a rehab. I mm -hmm. went to, I think I went to Bradford and then I did a thing in Bradford for 29 days. Mm -hmm. And then I did, went through the outpatient and ended up getting arrested again because I went back out there after that and ended up going to New Horizons and I had to do 18 months there. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, during that 18 months, I had relapsed about three times, and all three times I failed my drug test, and that's the third time they put me back in jail for 72 hours to think about it. And then I, and when I went back to court, I, I, uh, to, it was family drug court at the time, mm -hmm. and I, uh, I begged the judge to give me another chance, and 
She did, and uh, I did okay for a while. That was when I ended up with the three years claim. Okay. I did pretty good then. Uh, I don't remember the exact time frame. I'd have to really look back at that. Uh, but anyway, uh, I guess um, at, I shortly after getting through all that, I, I had another relay. I had bought a house uh, over on Hillsborough Drive, and I had it, and I had my mom living with me. And uh, I ended up getting arrested there for receiving stolen property. You mm -hmm. know, I was stealing property so that I could pay for drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that was probably the beginning of, I would call, I call today is, is a blessing. Because uh, uh, I ended up sitting in jail for 11 months. And then during that time, uh, my mom came to visit me pretty regular. No one else wanted to have anything to do with me at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, I had burnt all my job bridges. I had uh, all my family members outside of my mother didn't want to have nothing to do with me. And uh, he, the last time I had saw Angela, Meredith was in the yard and didn't want to come near me, and I could, didn't blame her. Uh, I, at the time, I was a little, I didn't understand it, but, you know, when I look back at it now, I surely understand. Uh, right. But uh, while I was sitting in jail, I had time to think about that. And, uh, well, I'd say that was probably where I felt the most desperate you know, and wanted to uh, something different. And mm -hmm. I, I, I still didn't know how to get it, you uh -huh. know, but I wanted something different and I knew it and I was desperate for it. Uh, and um, there was a combination of things while I was in jail. There were some guys in there that had their own little service on Sundays and they were doing things like drawing up their own little, uh, I guess, bulletins like we have at church now. Uh -huh. They made their own little bulletins and they <laughs> asked me because I was drawing and they asked me if I would draw something on the front of the bulletin form, uh -huh. so I did. And I ended up doing some services with them, and we sang and stuff, and um, I enjoyed that. Uh, and uh, they were all reading the Bible. At that point, I wasn't reading the Bible, but then my mom came to visit me this one time, and just out of the blue asked me, told me I should read Job in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I read Job in the Bible, and uh, at first I could see some similarities, but, you know, it really didn't do anything to move me. Uh, so, you know, I was continued to read the Bible, but there's something kept telling me I need to go back and try to understand what I was supposed to understand in Job that I missed because mm -hmm. I felt like I missed something. So I read Job again, and after reading it a second time, I, I had a better idea of how I could relate mm -hmm. to that story mm -hmm. uh, in a way. I mean, his was a lot more severe than mine was, sure. of course, but uh, mine was... You know, my life, if I look back at my whole life, was pretty messed up. And and uh, and, uh, <clears throat> and I look back at that, and I can relate to it in that aspect. Um, but the only thing that was missing in my life is I didn't have God in my life, like, right. like Job did. So. Well, what prompted, I mean, obviously at some point you had heard about His Way, and you came up here and wanted to get involved in the program. What? How did you hear about it? What prompted you to say that some kind of Christ-centered program was something that you'd be looking for? Well... When I when my eleven months was up in jail, I uh, went to my see my pro had to go see my probation officer and uh, the first thing he said to me was, "Well, Dana, what are you going to do now?" and and I knew that was a prompt question, <laughs> so I told him, "I says I guess I'm going to have to go to the rehabilitation center because uh, I knew he was going to violate me if I didn't, you know." 
So um, I uh, I did some research. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't just decide to go to a Christ-centered research center. I didn't know at that particular minute that one existed. Mm -hmm. um, I went and I got uh, approved for the Salvation Army's program, and I got approved for uh, Life Ministries program. They were gonna actually send me to Virginia. They was ready to send me to a farm in Virginia. And when I went back to the Salvation Army, I decided on the Salvation Army, and I went back to talk to, I think the lady's name was either Kathy or Carol, I can't remember. Uh, but she uh, asked me if I heard about a place called His Way. And she started explaining to me that it was Christ-centered and all that, and that interested me. So uh, she said, look, you gotta go online to try to find a phone number to call them. I said, so, so me and my mom, I went to my mom's and we would look it on my computer and because uh, I had it up there at my mother's house and she, uh, we couldn't find it. <laughs> it took a while. It, finally we found a number uh, and I called and uh, I came down here and had one interview. Uh, and I, you know, there was something, when I came down here for that interview, when I walked on the property, it's almost like you could feel God's presence is here. Uh, so. <clears throat> and then the second time it really hit me uh, and I you know and the second time I came I got to meet people I got to see how this place was working I got a tour and then I had that interview with you and one of the things that I think that helped me a lot in my recovery was with that interview with you I got things off of my chest and you know that were there that I never told anybody else uh, you know, why do you think you were prompted to do that I don't know I'm thinking that God prompted me to do mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, <clears throat> it's still an emotional thing for me to mm -hmm. even talk about it, uh, but uh, it uh, it was just a, an emotional time, you know, and, and the things that I had to talk about, and I knew I had to talk about them because, you know, a lot of you know all the recovery that I've been through. You know, one of the things they they say is you've got to let go of things, you know, mm -hmm. you know get things right. out, right. Right. otherwise they're not going to go away, you right. know. Right. Um, and, you know, I guess after about three years of, I mean, three months of being here, maybe two months, I can't exactly 100% mm -hmm. remember, you and I started talking about I wanted to get baptized, you know, because mm -hmm. I actually wanted to get baptized while I was in jail. And I decided, no, I'm not going to do it while I'm in here because it's too desperate. And I wanted to make sure that if I did get baptized, that I was all in, and I had the opportunity to be all in the way I would want to be. And uh, also wanted to feel like I could, you know, because I wasn't a hundred percent sure what all was all about. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things I learned here, you know, and in some of the readings you had me read, you know, I learned that. Uh, you have to trust, you have to believe, uh, and you have to give yourself to God. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted to do. Matter of fact, when we got, when you baptized me, when I got up there to get baptized, I had a sheet of paper in my pocket with some things that I was gonna say about, you know, why I was, mm -hmm. you know, what my confession was. Mm -hmm. uh, and something prompted me to say something else. Uh, and I could only assume that that was God doing that, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, 
the strange thing about after I said it, you know, after I was baptized and after I said my uh, thing, which I said was I was tired of living in a lie. I wanted to live yeah. <clears throat> in the truth, in the light. And that's still emotion, which is to think about it, you know? Because <clears throat> that is where I guess I did the 180, you know? It's where everything in my life changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I came to His Way at first, you know, one of the, just like a lot of the guys that come here, one of the things that I thought about was I want my life back. Right. I want to get my family, my job, and all those things back, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I never got any of those things back. I got something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what I got was my relationship with God. And that relationship is, it, I guess it filled that void that I couldn't fill myself, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, and uh, so, you know, from there, I, I, I guess I would notice things differently, you know, like I would, uh, the next time I went to go see my wife, for instance, you know, there was always... You got the money, or you know, it was, it was, there was always a cold conversation, mm-hmm. never really a, a nice conversation. Mm-hmm. Not even a how are you doing. It, if it was a how are you doing, and you're going to meetings, or you're doing this, or you're doing, mm-hmm. there's always something to do with me being, you know, into recovery. Right. And and after that, she never talked to me like that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it was always. It's almost like God put in her heart to talk to me differently. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. And that's how I look at it. Right. Well, I know, you know, May 31st of 2012, you would agree you graduated here. Um, and you've stayed plugged in since then. I guess I'm interested, too, in just since you've kind of technically left his way in terms of being a resident, what kind of things have you always had in place to kind of maintain the life that you'd started that God, you know, like you said, he didn't give you back your old life. What he did is he gave you a brand new life mm-hmm. and a brand new reason um, I guess, what are some of the things you feel like you're doing or have done over that period of time that, I mean, because, you know, in recovery, there's not a lot of guys who have a 10-year story a lot of times to tell like you have. Um, what are some of the things you've been doing? Well, the most important thing I think I, I learned in recovery here was state, the one thing I heard drilled to me more than anything else was you need to stay plugged in. Mm-hmm. You need to stay involved. You need to be in recovery all, mm-hmm. at all. You need to think recovery all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it came to my year graduation and time to go, I didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> it was as simple as I didn't. I didn't one hundred percent trust myself mm-hmm. to be out there on my own. I, I needed to be right where I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's when I decided out, you know, I decided I wanted to stay and work here. And I stayed as a resident manager, I think, for three years after that, mm-hmm. staying and living here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I even started my lawn care business while I was a resident manager in the evening and doing lawn care in the, in the, during the day. Mm-hmm. And actually, Clyde Jones and Richard Brown both helped me to get that little venture started. Mm-hmm. You know, I borrowed a lawnmower from Richard to ride a lawnmower, and uh, uh, Clyde helped me buy a little tiny trailer mm-hmm. 
and uh, some equipment to, for that lawn care business. And, right. and uh, the reason I started that lawn care business, was, my main reason was so that I could be a servant and help guys that were here that, because uh, I knew that was the kind of work that just about anybody could do. That, you know, I was uh, very lucky to have somebody help me finish paying my way in because when I first came here, if you, if you remember, I was working at Labor Finders and mm-hmm. staying at the Salvation Army, mm-hmm. and I only had half the money to get in. And when I got in, God seemed to put those, in my first 30 days, avenues of work to help me get my tuition paid. And I remembered that, and I remembered how great that felt to have somebody help mm-hmm. me to do that, right. and, uh, to get that bill paid before I got to the point where I was, my 30 days was up, you mm-hmm. know. So I wanted to be able to help somebody do that, you know. One of the things that made me want to do things like that was I used to look at Clyde and all the things and wonderful things that he'd done. And I've and I seen uh, how many people he's helped and, and how happy and how much joy that seemed to give him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when I started helping people, that's what I felt. I felt that joy, and I really enjoy that joy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Uh, that's awesome. It's, it's a great thing to be able to... Well, one of the things, yeah, you've always done that I've seen is that you've always been engaged in recovery with an effort to help other people, whether it's working here and helping the guys or creating businesses, I know, like the lawn care business and other things. I mean, I know you've started transition houses for guys transition and all of your endeavors have been, you know, even work endeavors have been ways to help serve and care for people in recovery. And I think that's a powerful testimony and part of the key way that you have kind of continued to strengthen your recovery is in that. Um, as you think about this last 10 year journey, what have some of the threats to your sobriety been? I mean, what are the, the things that kind of maybe knocked you off your game or threatened you in some way? Well, there's a few things that, uh, that, you know, I can't lie, you know, as a drug addict, uh, I know that, you know, we want to use, uh, and to not want to use, you have to work hard, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, so it's really easy for, and, and I, as an employee over the last 10 years here, I can see just how easy it is even more so than it was for myself. Cause I, you know, had many relapses before I came here, I, you know, and so I know what it's like <coughs> to relapse and how, the, how it feels afterwards and all of that. And, uh, I know that uh, it's not easy. Uh, so some of the things that uh, that I remember is uh, playing. One of the big things was, you know, praying. Mm-hmm. For me, if I felt like I, I wanted to use, I, I would pray about mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. I always, I listened, I remember listening to other people's advice on what to do if you get that urge, you know, play the tape back. Give it a day, thinking about it. Don't use today. Wait till tomorrow. You know those kind of things. And and believe it or not, those little things do help if you mm-hmm. use them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, what I see in a lot of guys is they they wait till after they use to call for help, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right, right. and it's too late. You right. know? And uh, I've seen that happen so many times. So I was I try I I try to learn, I guess, from other people's mistakes mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. with my own mistakes of mm-hmm. the past. Um, but, you know, the one thing that I can say that has made it a lot easier this time is a continued relationship with the Lord, 
not thinking about me, thinking about others, mm-hmm. uh, and how it would affect others if mm-hmm. I did relapse. Right, right. Uh, not even worrying about what it, how it would affect me, worrying about how it would affect the people right. that I'm responsible for. Right. Because at one point, you know, I was responsible for 12 guys staying in my transition house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a lot of stress. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the times, in, in the length of time that they did have the three transition houses, um, a few of the guys have passed away, uh, you know, or left the house and overdosed. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, I've never had lost one at the house, mm-hmm. but uh, I have lost uh, people that I, you know, cared a lot about mm-hmm. in the past. You know, over the years, many people have have, have died, uh, especially since this new fentanyl situation has developed. And, right. Uh, lots of guys were died, and you know, and it's, it doesn't get any easier for us to deal with that. Um, and unfortunately, it is a reminder that uh, helps to scare me to death. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. I don't, uh, I don't want to be that kind of. I could, I think about things like, what would my daughter think if that was if that happened to me? Right. You know. And, uh, Right. And I think about those families for those men, you know. All I want to do is try to be the person that does something about it. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the, you know, you mentioned that as God has kind of rebuilt your life in this new life of recovery, um, I think there's been a lot of interesting things that happened. Certainly you haven't reclaimed your life as maybe you had hoped or that you envisioned it being. But maybe you could share a minute about, um, I guess, a couple of things that strike me is one, your relationship with your ex-wife and your daughter, how, you know, what's happened there um, over the years, because I know there was times when you were hoping maybe you get back together and, you know, become a big, happy family again. It hasn't quite gone that way, but maybe how have things gone between your former wife and your daughter and that type of thing? It didn't get great right away, Tom, but uh, I wouldn't trade my family life for anything. Uh, at this point, it's wonderful. Uh, Angela and I, we, you know, we, we go to dinner, we go to movies. Sometimes we'll rent a movie and mm-hmm. uh, have dinner and watch a movie. Mm-hmm. We spend time together. We walk. Uh, we do things without Meredith and my mm-hmm. granddaughter, my new granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also do things with my daughter and my granddaughter and my son-in-law and uh, we um, and and his mom and dad. We 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 have Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving and all the good holidays, right. and we do all these things together as a family. Uh, and every year it gets better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this last year was phenomenal because I've got a new granddaughter, and it's just really great. Even though COVID was here, it mm-hmm. still was. It turned out to be a special year, right. along with a devastating year at the same time. Right, so. right. Yeah, I think a lot of us have been blessed in certain ways. We would never want to go through this, but it's been interesting how our lives have kind of reconfigured that, and we've experienced some things that we might not have otherwise. You know, and one of the things that I, I learned, I think, as a Christian in the last 10 years is that we need to expect some suffering. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, this last year, I think, has taught a lot of us how to suffer with grace. Right, right. So, obviously, we've heard some about your 10-year um, story in recovery as well as your recovery, your um, time of addiction, and I appreciate you sharing all that. I guess as you look into the future, 
What do you hope? What do you anticipate? What do you long for? What are, do you have any particular goals or visions or dreams in terms of where you would like to be or what you are targeting toward as you envision your future? Well, I, I do have some small ideas. You know, I want to I wanna be a great grandpa, a great dad, uh, a great family man. You know, I want to be a, I want to look back and say, like I see in some of the folks at uh, church, you know, that they've been going to this church for 20 or 30 years, you know, <clears throat> I can look back and I can say I've been going for 10. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a pretty big achievement. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to being able to say maybe 30 before I die, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I don't know, I guess uh, I do have some goals. I have a friend that I found out has 20 years clean that I grew up with. Uh, we were both into mischief when we were younger, and uh, he uh, is in the antique business okay. today. And he actually has two. He has a, a regular job, but he does an antique business thing on the side. Mm -hmm. He sells antiques in a co-op, mm -hmm. and he's been he buys out houses uh, that have uh, been either foreclosed on or people have passed away and stuff. You know, he gets a lot of antiques, and uh, he's been doing this for the last fifteen years. And uh, when he he's fixing to retire, uh, about the same time I am, he's going to retire when he's sixty-six. But I'm going to try to retire when I'm seventy, and we're going to get together and uh, and do co-ops, but plus be on the road. Mm -hmm. uh, buying and selling antiques, so cool. that's going to be my retirement. That's okay. a goal. Uh, uh -huh. Good. Uh, and then uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I've done, you know, I did, you know, I had three transition houses mm -hmm. at one point, and now I only have one. Uh, and I don't think I'm actually going to have that one too much longer because uh, the fellow that I'm running it uh, for is thinking about selling it. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I did sell my other two houses and bought a house uh, and so that I could move my mom out of a, a senior living facility that was you know loaded with folks because of this COVID thing right. I thought that she's 89 this year and I wanted to give back to her too because right. you know when it came down to the bitter end she was the only one that was there. Right. One of the things um, I appreciate about you, Dana, and, and it always has inspired me, is your love for your mom and the way you've cared for her. And, and I've heard in your story just this level of commitment you have to people, to blessing people, to being a part of God's gift to people. And, and I really appreciate the way you've done that here, the way you've created transition houses, landscaping businesses, and things to help bless other people. And, um, and I'm sure you'll continue to do that in the future. And I know you're an inspiration to me. I know you're an inspiration to a lot of the guys here. You're kind of a, definitely a pillar here in terms of the influence that you bring to this place and the way we enjoy stability today because of your maturity and your consistency. And so I thank you for being our guest today and thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, and I want to thank you for listening and watching today. If you'd like to know more about His Way and Recovery His Way, you can check out our website at hiswayinc.org.